From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. Congress has taken unprecedented measures to respond to the coronavirus pandemic and the economic devastation it caused. Did they work? The dust is far from settled, of course, so it may be too early to say. But it's now been about three months since the pandemic really started affecting the U.S. in earnest, and a lot of researchers and academics are starting to weigh in with their assessments of Congress's economic stimulus, and especially its $2 trillion legislative package known as the CARES Act. Well, today we're joined by two of those researchers, one left of center and one on the right, to give us their assessment. Was all the money Congress spent effective, or would it have gotten more bang for its buck by just dropping a ton of cash out of a bunch of helicopters. Our two guests today are Steve Rosenthal, a senior fellow at the Urban Institute, and Kyle Pomerleau, a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. They spoke with Colin Wilhelm, a Bloomberg tax reporter who covers Capitol Hill, about the ways Congress has used the tax code, or has tried to use the tax code, to get relief to people affected by the pandemic. Colin started off by asking Steve and Kyle specifically about the CARES Act. What do you think are the good and bad parts of the the CARES Act? We have this historic uh, economic aid package that was passed by by Congress as a response to the economic shock caused by um, the the public health measures that are being used to contain the novel coronavirus. Um, What did CARES do that you think works and uh, what did it do that you think needs to be fixed? Well, let me give a a short overview and and then let Kyle hop in. Uh, I think the CARES Act was really effective at giving away a lot of money, uh, a couple trillion dollars of tax relief, uh, both for individuals like the $1,200 rebate checks and for businesses with the loss relief and also the uh, payroll protection program. Uh, So that was effective, a lot of money very quickly. Uh, Less effective though was targeting that money sensibly. My fear is that Congress parceled out a couple of trillion dollars of tax relief, uh, but did not target it particularly effectively. And there'll be many more needs for financial assistance going forward And the question is whether Congress will continue to have the money and the resources to offer future tax relief. Uh, I I agree with Steve for the most part. Um, Before going into what I think is good or bad or whether things are rough around the edges, I think it's also important to talk about this distinction between economic relief and economic stimulus. I think there are some that tend to conflate the two, um, especially those that are looking to open the economy up right now, they're very concerned that the CARES Act um, was actually harmful for the economy or was resulting in people dropping out of the labor force. Um, But that seems to be beside the point. Um, The CARES Act was more economic relief. It was meant to make sure businesses are able to make payroll, pay their bills. Individuals are able to continue to pay their bills, their mortgages, continue to buy groceries. So that's different than an economic stimulus, which is meant to bring back sidelined workers and bring, and, um, bring back sidelined capital to start moving the economy again. Um, the whole purpose here was to kind of cryogenically freeze the economy for a small amount of time so that it could then reopen um, in a relatively healthy state. I'm sure we'll debate endlessly whether it was successful in that or not, but it's important to make that distinction. Uh, And 
you know, generally, I agree with Steve that the CARES Act was able to get a lot of money out very quickly. Um, but yeah, there are places where it was rough around the edges. Um, the the economic relief payments, the $1,200 for singles, $2,400 for married couples filing jointly, um, that money went out the door quickly. However, there are places where it was not hitting the right people or it wasn't hitting enough people. I think one of the concerns is that the definition of um, dependent in the CARES Act specifically um, you could get 500 additional dollars um, per qualifying child. Qualifying child in the CARES Act was um, a child under the age of 17. This, of course, excludes a lot of children who are older than 17. This excludes a lot of college students that may be still dependents, and it also excludes a lot of um, elderly dependents um, from, from relief. Um, so it did get a lot of money out, but there were places where it wasn't targeted well. And I'm sure we'll get into this um, uh, in a little bit, but yeah, that some of the business tax provisions too, um, you know, rough around the edges, may have gotten money out to businesses that may not have needed it and maybe not enough money to businesses that did need it. Steve, what do you think of, of that distinction between relief and stimulus? I mean, do you think that's a, do you agree with what Kyle was saying there? Uh, yes. Um Kyle correctly identifies uh, that economic aid can accomplish a couple of different purposes, uh, relief or stimulus. I, I focus more on just, well, this is tax relief, that is dollars to people out there. And uh, there is, of course, the question of whether the people who receive the dollars need the dollars. And, and that's what I mean by uh, poor targeting. Um, in a stimulus context, you might be less concerned about whether the people who need the dollars receive the dollars, but even there, people who need the dollars are more likely to spend them, and you probably get a bigger bang for your buck, stimulus buck, um, to the extent that, again, you target better. I would say uh, on this notion of targeting, and I agree with Kyle both on the individual rebates um, as well as the business provisions, uh, rough around the edges, uh, I think that's that's being a, perhaps a little generous uh, because I think that, 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 that there's a lot of roughness going on. And I fall back on my experience uh, working for the Joint Committee on Taxation in the 1990s. Uh, we drafted a lot of tax legislation uh, trying to accomplish a variety of different goals. And I took away from uh, those years that drafting tax legislation to target relief where you want to get relief is really, really hard. Uh, you often fail to get relief to people you want to get the relief, and you often give relief uh, to people who don't need the relief. And so tax instruments, in my judgment, are inherently crude. I'd much prefer spending programs, uh, grants, or infrastructure expenditure, where the government cuts a check and we know where the check goes, than to try to use the tax rules uh, to get relief to targeted groups or constituencies just because that's very difficult in my experience. Yeah. And I think part of the difficulty was the speed at which this was done. Um, another policy that's a good example as to why this is economic relief and not stimulus and that you know it's just difficult to do this stuff quickly is the unemployment insurance expansion. I mean, if this was economic stimulus, 
I don't think you would design an unemployment insurance program to have more than 100% replacement um, and have expanded eligibility. One concern is that that could lead to lingering unemployment when you are trying to get people back into the labor force. But I'm not all that concerned about that right now simply because you know, when there was a pandemic going on, we were not that concerned about people going out and working, really. We wanted people to stay home, to stay safe. Um, so that's where that distinction matters. And the UI is also a good example of why maybe this is more than just, you know, the crudeness of tax instruments, but just the, the crudeness of how quickly this stuff was done. I, ideally, maybe you'd want to top off UI to 100% replacement, um, but that required, um, at the state level, updating computer systems, I guess, and the computer systems were very old, and I guess word is that there just wasn't enough time um, to get the money out if, if they went through with updating the, the underlying coding to get the money out, so they decided, well, $600 per week we'll just send that out because it's more important to get the money out now than to um, hyper-engineer this to um, work well. Steve, you've been very critical of the uh, net operating loss changes that were made by CARES. Uh, can you walk us through what those were and then and why you disagree with them? Sure. The CARES Act suspended a couple of limitations on losses that had been added in 2017 by the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. The problem is that as we went into the coronavirus period, uh, many businesses, uh, both corporate and non-corporate, uh, realized uh, that they would have staggering amounts of losses in 2020 and going forward. And these loss limitations uh, would have prevented them from being deducted. Uh, net operating losses which are expenses in excess of gross income, uh, now can only be carried forward. And so if a business had a staggering amount of losses in 2020, uh, those would do no good after a certain point, after the income that had been generated, gross income had been generated, had been soaked up. Uh, the rules in place as the coronavirus hit were really harsh in terms of the ability of businesses and their owners uh, to deduct those losses. Now, having said that, uh, I think it's certainly sensible to have relieved some of those pressures and allow a limited amount of carryback of losses to allow uh, what is known as a quickie refund, an infusion of cash, uh, when the loss can be used against earlier year's income. However, in my judgment, uh, the uh, CARES Act went too far that is allowed losses to be carried back, uh, not just to uh, current uh, tax rate years, uh, 19 and 18, 21%, but to be carried back to 35% years. And that creates all sorts of problems. But also, it freed up losses that, in my research suggests, were overwhelmingly used by the highest income taxpayers and in industries like hedge funds and real estate. And consequently, the Joint Tax Committee actually published distribution tables that showed that the suspension of losses, at least for individuals, the excess business loss provisions, and the carrying back of those losses really generated a lot of tax relief uh, for the highest income Americans. Uh, millionaires, people who actually earn more than a million dollars, 
got 82% of the benefit, and it was about $1.6 million of tax relief per millionaire. And Kyle, I'm interested to hear, do you agree with that? So I think um, this is actually a good time to drill down into like what what are the big concerns. Um, I, I think uh, Steve is right about you know the limitation of losses put in place by the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. I mean, from a policy perspective, that was somewhat of a mistake. Um, you'd want um, an income tax to provide uh, generous loss recovery. Um, so that you are not penalizing riskier investments that may you know, lose a bunch of money up front and then make money later. Um, so in terms of like, you know, were these well targeted or not? I think in general, expanding losses during a recession makes sense. It's been done before. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was specifically criticized for limiting losses, especially carrybacks, because of you know an impending recession maybe may hit um, taxpayers harder because they wouldn't be able to carry back. Um, you know, in terms of places where this may have gone too far or where Steve has concerns, I think it's two specific areas. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Steve. One is um, the ability to carry back losses that were incurred in 2019 and 2018 um, rather than 2020. So, you know, the pandemic's going on in 2020. If you are incurring massive losses in this year, it makes sense that those are carried back and you're able to get cash. That's good. You know, you could ask the question, what does 2018 and 2019 have to do with the 2020 pandemic? So that, from that perspective, uh, maybe that wasn't well targeted. I think the devil's advocate argue, the devil's advocate argument is, well, that's just helicopter money, and we want cash out there. Um, I'm not totally convinced by that, given that we're we're trying to provide relief, not stimulus. So helicopter money really isn't, you know, what we're what we're going for here. But what Congress enacted in its haste, I don't think is workable at all. Uh, the, the, the the we've seen stories about the windfalls of companies who had pre-coronavirus uh, losses uh, being able to carry them back at 35% rates. And they're so almost gleeful in their uh, 10Qs that they've been filing this year at what a windfall they've had. And let me say, uh, I'm really troubled by uh, the uh, helicopter money, uh, the, uh, 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 the uh, counter-argument that Kyle just uh, uh, added at sort of as a straw man. I don't believe in helicopter money. I think that's, gonna, that's leading our country into a disaster. And that is, if helicopter money is a notion that Milton Friedman originated, uh, the notion that sometimes you want to stimulate the economy, um, and it's not clear that's what we're doing here, as Kyle pointed out earlier, but you want to stimulate the economy just by throwing money out there. And if you bought that notion, I would be okay with helicopter money if the helicopter money was over Harlem and the Bronx, where the workers are, as opposed to Greenwich and Westchester, where the stockholders are. And so I think we're finding that the CARES Act was particularly generous to the highest income Americans, those who owned businesses uh, rather than the, those who worked in the businesses. I guess a counterargument to me would be, well, Steve, we really want to keep those businesses afloat in order so they can keep their employees working. And I get that. I'm just not a fan of that form of trickle-down economics. In part, and we could talk more broadly as to, like, what is Congress trying to do here? At, at one point, it looked as if Congress was just trying to keep businesses intact uh, on life support for a couple of months. 
uh, so that when they emerged from the coronavirus tunnel, they'd have a workforce in place and can resume very quickly. That made some sense, but the coronavirus is lingering for months and months, and we're in a situation now where the government has given life support to businesses that might otherwise have just gone under. And that's sort of what we expect in capitalism, that some businesses succeed and some businesses go under. And so the question of how much support, how much relief now can we be providing to what businesses and to whom are we giving the money, I think is really important because we have a limited amount of money. And in my view, there's only so much intrusion on the marketplace that the government should be doing. Yes, relief, and I'm all for relief, but I'd like to target for those who are unemployed or underemployed and most needy. Uh, The only thing I'll add, you know, it is worth thinking about the the distributional impact of these these provisions and the the pass through provision. I just I don't think that it um, is necessarily appropriate to go after the loss provision specifically because um, you are upset that that high income individuals may benefit, which is you know it's possible. Or well, I think in the case of the pass through deduction, you know the JCT has said said as much that it heavily tilts that way. Um, but if you're concerned about that, I think there are probably more important, uh, more appropriate ways to raise taxes on high-income individuals than limiting loss, uh, limiting the uh, recovery of losses. Well, on that point, Kyle, just in the spirit of having something we could disagree about, uh, I think that um, Congress has a limited number of choices, and it's hard to raise taxes on rich guys. And so I, I get the notion that. We should try to keep our income tax pure, uh, and if we want to raise rates on rich guys, do it directly. I mean, that makes sense as a policy matter. But we have a lot of different limitations in the tax code that we put in place, like passive loss limitations, you know, and historically we've had minimum tax rules. Uh, and a lot of times those are really uh, exigencies of the system that we have. That's the only way we can address what would otherwise be a problem uh, in terms of distributional consequences because we couldn't uh, allow the relief with one hand and take it back in the other. That was just not politically possible. And then I fall back on my basic point, which is uh, at some point the U.S. government runs out of money. Right now individuals are getting supercharged unemployment through July. My view is that, it's, that, that there is, in fact, a point the Republicans have who are those who are embracing uh, some form of fiscal, uh, fiscal uh, austerity, that there's only so many trillions of dollars that the government can borrow and spend. Uh, I actually am, in some respects, a fiscal conservative. I think there are limitations of how many trillions of dollars the government can borrow and spend. And there are times for the government to be doing that, But now is a a good time. But again, if we're going to parcel out, shovel out trillions of dollars, uh, let's make sure they're getting in the hands of people who need them most. And the rich guys and the owners uh, don't simply don't need them as much. It goes to their savings accounts, and it's not going to be the kind of need that we'll see in a few months of people who are struggling to get food on their tables and shelter overhead. Uh, How will they buy the groceries? How will they pay the rent? 
uh, we're going to face some pretty dire circumstances in my judgment, and there's going to be pushback on relief in those circumstances because of the huge deficit hole we're in. And, and I think we ought to consider how we get to that deficit hole and who we're giving the money to, and I'd stop giving money to millionaires. Yeah, I, I think that um, in terms of whatever limit we have in, in for a deficit or debt is going to be a political one rather than an economic one right now. Um, so it, yeah, it is important to kind of see you know, how are Republicans talking about this, um, and you know what lawmakers are thinking in terms of um, what what the next stage of relief is. Um, yeah, I you know my only advice to them is that I, economically, I think there is continued room to borrow um, right now. Um, that you don't really have to be concerned about that. But I do, I do think Steve's right that there is some concern that politically um, will hit some sort of wall where um, you really do have to start making choices about where the money is going. So you've touched a little bit on what you would like to see in in the next round of an aid package from from Congress. So what would be maybe one thing that you would like to see that, um, what would be kind of your top priority for, for this next aid package? Yeah, I, so I, I don't have a very good answer to the question of should it be relief or stimulus yet? Um, this this is something I've avoided answering because I'm not an expert in how the coronavirus is going to unfold. Um, but if if it is economic relief um, rather than stimulus, I do think that it may be appropriate to do another round of economic relief payments. Um, I think that any policies should be well targeted towards the issue at hand. Um, I do think that if it's temporary economic relief, that lawmakers should avoid trying to sneak in um, longstanding um, policy goals, whether that is, you know, even whether that is like corporate tax reform or whatever reforms you'd like to see in the tax code or in the spending space. I mean, leave those aside and try to focus on providing direct relief. I mean, one example, um, and even though I'm uh, a big proponent of this in, in, in terms of what our code should look like, um, I see some pushing for expanding, say, expensing. Well, you have to ask the question, what does extending a provision that isn't going to phase out until 2022 have to do with a pandemic that's going on in 2020? Um, so if it's economic relief, you have to really ask the question, you know, are we, you know, is it appropriate to be putting in some of these, um, these stimulus measures? Um, if it's stimulus, um, you know, I haven't thought about this too much because I don't know if we're actually there yet. But that's when you can start thinking about um, tax provisions they, that may have, uh, it may provide an incentive to bring people back to work. Um, and um, and to continue and to get aggregate demand going again. Yeah, and, and uh, I'll end on a, a note of harmony. Uh, I agree uh, with Kyle. Uh, I think the question of uh, the form of uh, the, the relief or stimulus depends on where we are with the coronavirus. Uh, but you can imagine uh, that that will will be in one of those two states, and uh, the government will have a legitimate uh, role to play. Uh, the problem from my standpoint is that there are very few good tax ideas that can help. And notwithstanding the politicians' eagerness to cut taxes uh, to either relieve taxpayers or stimulate the economy, there are very few good ideas out there that could work. 
some of the ideas floated like a capital gains tax cut are completely nuts. Uh, but uh, they have a pizzazz among certain groups of our politicians, unfortunately. So you ask me what would I do if I were Tsar? Uh, I would, uh, if we're in a relief mode, lengthen the unemployment assistance, maybe make unemployment assistance uh, less than 100% of your prior income as opposed to more than 100%. But then most importantly, uh, I actually believe in infrastructure, government jobs programs. Let's get some spending uh, to employ workers who can leave our country better off. And again, uh, in my judgment, spending programs are, would fit uh, our current situation best. I don't think this is a situation in which the tax rules you know, need repair. I think our economy and a lot of, of personal financial situations need the help. And I don't think tax rules are providing that. I think spending provides it better. That was reporter Colin Wilhelm speaking with Steve Rosenthal of the Urban Institute and Kyle Pomerleau of the American Enterprise Institute. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest developments from Capitol Hill at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about what you just heard or about really anything else, get in touch with us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. Talking Tax is produced by me, David Schultz. Kathy Larson is our editor. Special help today came from Siri Belusu and Lydia O'Neill. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. Hey there, I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor for Bloomberg Government. And I'm Greg Giroux, senior elections reporter for Bloomberg Government. Check out our podcast, Down Ballot Counts. Each week, Greg and I will be breaking down all of those down ballot elections that make up the fight for the U.S. Congress. Listen and subscribe to Down Ballot Counts from Bloomberg Government wherever you get your podcasts.